Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. As Rach said, uh, we've also got our online service happening at the moment. Uh, Kelly Baker is hosting in the chat, uh, which is also making everyone feel welcome online. But uh, we hope you're feeling welcome here as well, whether it's your first time or hundredth uh, time, thousandth time, doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever it is, we're so glad that you're here and you're joining us. And as Rach mentioned, we're, uh, we're actually concluding this series, uh, which has been called Paradox, which has been all about uh, understanding that Jesus himself is a paradox. So he was fully God, yet fully human all at the same time. He was an almighty, all-powerful king, yet at the same time was a humble servant who laid down his life on the cross. And so we've been journeying through uh, the book of Mark as we discovered that um, because the first half of the book of Mark really identifies Jesus as king over all. That's the first eight chapters. And the second eight chapters of Mark start to show what Christ's uh, purpose was and that he needed to go to the cross. And so if you haven't read Mark, I encourage you to read it. 16 chapters, if you listen to it on the audio Bible, takes you about an hour 43, which is about the length of a movie, not to bring any condemnation on anyone, but you know, we're easy to watch a movie, hard to read uh, a book of the Bible, but I encourage you to step into that and, uh, and see what God opens up uh, for your life. Um, but here's a little recap before we get in. So week one, we spoke about that Jesus is God, plain and simple. Jesus is God. He came out in the first few verses, makes this uh, astonishing statement actually that I am that I am God. That I'm God. I'm part of the of this thing called the Trinity, uh, which is Father, Spirit, and Son. Three, three in one, and that's how God is revealed uh, to mankind. And then week two, we looked at the section of Mark where Jesus calms a storm, and that helped us to understand that that Jesus has power and authority over all. He, he is a king who has authority over nature, has authority over anything in this world. And because of that, we don't trust in our own ability to believe, but we trust in Jesus who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, even though he may feel sometimes like he's sleeping in the boat, which is what happens in that account. But he is always there with us. And then last week, uh, we spoke about the turn, uh, the turn that Jesus takes this these disciples on that before they'd been all like, rah, rah, miracles, raising people from the dead, calming storms. This is amazing. And then Jesus says, hold up, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer and die. And also, by the way, you're called to follow me and do the same thing. Yeah, slight, <laughs> slight, slight turn, slight, you know, deflation of the balloon right there. But that was, that, that was last week. We, we understood that the cross called Jesus to lay his life down and he calls us to lay, our, to lay down our wants, our desires and our plans to follow him. And so, so this week in the uh, final week of our series, uh, if you're writing down notes, you can write this as the title of the message, but it's called The Trap. Okay, the trap. And I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been caught in a trap before? And that sounds a little bit strange, you know, like has someone been hunting you or have you been watching Hunger Games too much or some other, you know, dystopian type sort of end of the world. It's all, you know, it's all gone type sort of movie. But uh, I, I haven't, but 
I, I, I want to call it the trap because I want to I want to show you this thing and. Um, I'm going to try and stop using these examples soon, but um, we did move from New South Wales to Western Australia about three years ago, start of 2019, and we discovered that there were some differences. Some differences were like, amen, this is amazing. We have moved to the promised land. A three-bedroom house in walking distance to the beach doesn't cost $52.5 million. Like, this is, this is amazing, like it, like, it, like it does in Sydney. You know, not everyone is always in a hurry, and there's no toll roads that you have to pay for. Like, thank you, Jesus, you have brought us to the promised land. This is amazing. But others... Other things were a little bit like, what? You can't go to Coles at 9.45 p.m. on a Tuesday night because you forgot milk and bread the next morning. Like, what? What is this? How do we, how do we survive here? And then, then this one, this is where the, this is where the trap comes in. Um, in New South Wales, you are warned about every speed camera three times before it actually checks your speed. And, and there's an order. Just, just, just so you know, you know, none of you ever speed, but just say so if you're ever in New South Wales and driving, the first one will say speeds are checked in New South Wales. That's your, that's your cue. You're like, okay, I probably need to slow down or you know, stay at the same speed because I've never been speeding. The next one says uh, your speeds will be checked. And then the third one says, just because, you know, a little bit slow on the East Coast, your speed will be checked. And you're like, all right, that means within 200 metres, there is a speed camera right here. I, I'm not sure if you've heard this term before, but when I was growing up, they were called a speed trap. Uh, you might get, might get caught. And I, I, I admit right here in front of everyone, early one rainy morning after dropping Rachel at work, I was heading south near the Mariner's Cove exit just before the new bridge, or is it the new old bridge or the old new bridge? I don't know. I'm all, I'm all, I'm all confused about that bridge. But anyway, I was heading there, uh, went through the set of lights heading south, and I felt this flash behind me. And I'm like, is that you, Lord? Have you come back? <laughs> Is this, is this the rapture? And then I realised as I kept going, oh no, this is not the rapture. I think my speed was just checked and I didn't get warned three times before. What, what is going on? But today, through God's Word, we're, we're going we're gonna to have a look at a trap and we're, and, and we're going to be nice. It's going to be a little bit like New South Wales. And I want to give you uh, three signs that there's a trap ahead. Three signs that, are, that there's something coming up. And so we're going we're, we're gonna to have a look at that. And there are going to be two, two warnings and one encouragement. And so we're going to do that by looking through uh, Mark chapter 10. And we'll start in verse 17. It says this. Uh, you can obviously read along in your Bible or your version app or whatever you use or it's behind me on the screen before, but Mark 10 verse 17 says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now in some other accounts of this same, uh, you know, same event in the other Gospels, um, and oftentimes in the other Gospels, so that's, we're in Mark, but that's Matthew, Luke, and John, they'll reveal extra details about an, an event that's occurred. And so um, in other parts, this man is described as, you know, it sounds like, I don't know, is this his like, uh, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn profile or something, but he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Okay, so don't, don't get all excited all, all at the same time. But right, this is, so he's often known as the rich, 
young ruler. It continues, Mark 10, verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false, false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. We see here that Jesus tells this young man something that he can't accept. He comes seeking uh, something from Jesus, but leaves empty-handed and leaves grieved because he couldn't fathom laying down what was at the centre of his life to follow Jesus. Remember we said the second half of Mark is all about this, this purpose of Jesus going to the cross and his call for us to follow him uh, likewise. But notice the reaction of the disciples that follows. We'll, we'll keep reading. This is verse 23, chapter 10. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Great question. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, when we come around this uh, this verse, it's important to understand that there are many uh, in, in our world who believe that you can't accrue great wealth without taking advantage of people. This is the thinking behind many political and economic philosophies that no one can get rich without stepping on others. You might think if that is the case, then the disciples would say, amazing Jesus, preach it. Oh, of course, don't let any of those rich you know, exploiters get into the kingdom of heaven. There's no way they can make it there. But instead, their response is that their, their minds are just blown. They're just like, what if, if he can't get in to the kingdom of heaven. If he can't be saved, then, then who can? You see, it's important to understand that the disciples were, came from a culture that didn't actually view wealth as evil, but rather they viewed wealth as a reward for moral behaviour for moral behaviour. Historically at the time, the accepted view was that if you lived a good life, then God would reward you with prosperity. They assumed, and this is obviously a false assumption, but they assumed that poverty was a sign that you were not living a good life and God was not pleased with you. So that, that's, that, that's, that was their view at the time. But Jesus' response to this man shows that he doesn't subscribe to either of these simplistic views. Neither is great wealth necessarily exploitative, nor, it, nor is it always a sign of virtue and God's favour. What Jesus was actually doing in this moment is he was challenging the rich young ruler's self-sufficiency. Jesus asks him about the commandments, you know, are you a good moral person? And his response is, I've done well. I followed the rules. I'm nice to people. But why do I feel like there is still something missing? Maybe you're here this morning 
and you feel like you're a decent person, and you probably are. You know, you're, you're probably generally nice to people. You might even help old ladies cross the road. You know, you, you do all the, all the right things, yet there is still this ache on the inside of your life, deep down in your soul, that you are, that you are born for more, that there's something more than what you're currently living for, that in this life there must be more than just the five senses, what we taste, touch, smell, see, and hear. You see, the rich young ruler went to Jesus hoping to find the extra thing that he was missing. You know, the extra rule that he needed to obey, the extra good deed he needed to do, the extra work he needed to put in. Yet Jesus shatters his world and gives him something completely different, something completely out of left field. He says, go and sell all that you have, all that you have. Remember, we said that culturally at the time, they believed that being rich and prosperous was a sign that they were good and that God was with them. So this rich young ruler must be thinking, are you serious? Like not just, you know, how can I pay the bills? Not just like, have you seen my home? I've just renovated, it's amazing. I, I don't want to sell, sell that thing. It was even deeper than that. He was probably thinking, what? Like get rid of everything that shows people and shows myself that I'm good that I'm honest, what, ditch all of that, all of those things that show people I'm on, I'm on the right track. I, I can't do that. No, no, no way can I do that. You see, Jesus was challenging him to trade something that he created in his own strength for a trust and a faith and a belief in someone bigger than him. You see, this young man had trusted in works but the call was to follow Jesus and to trust Him alone. What, 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 is, it, what is it for you? Where's the, where's, the, where's the trap? For many of us, it is wealth and material possessions. You know, whether we think we're wealthy or not, statistically on a global scale, uh, the fact that you're here, uh, you probably, although I'm not assuming everything, but you probably slept with a roof over your head last night. Uh, I, I said this in the online message, the fact that people are watching with the internet connection and something to, uh, you know, to view the service in, statistically means you're right in the top percentile of richness across the planet. If we were, if we were to take a global perspective, which who knows that we all need many, many times. But what do you trust in to tell yourself that you're a decent person, that you have value, that you're on track and that you're doing, you know, quote unquote, like the right thing? So remember I said New South Wales gives you three signs, three signs to let you know there's a trap coming up. And so today we're going to allow this passage of Scripture, we're going to allow the Word, word of God to come and to, and to give us two challenges, like I said, and one encouragement as we start to you know, head towards the end of the message. So number one, if, you, if you're writing down notes, you can write down this question, is your wealth a tool or a scorecard? You see, the rich young ruler went away sad because he could not deal with the challenge that Jesus gave him to sell everything that he had. As I said, he viewed his wealth as a way to show everyone and ultimately to prove to himself that he was worth something, that he was of value, that his life actually counted. 
speaking on this topic, I'm going to quote directly from the book that we've been using as a resource alongside, um, alongside this series. It's called King's Cross by Timothy Keller. He says this, It's not a coincidence that for every one time Jesus warns about building our lives on sex and romance, he warns 10 times about money. Money has always been one of the most common saviours. The ability to go out to cool restaurants, to have nice new things, to negotiate a professional culture and peer group, all those things are probably more important than you know. Check out this, he continues. How do you know that money isn't just money to you? Here are some of the signs. You can't give large amounts of it away. You get scared if you might have less than you're accustomed to having. You see people who are doing better than you, even though you might have worked harder or might be a, quote, better person, and it gets under your skin. And when it happens, you have one foot in the trap because it's no longer just a tool, it's a scorecard. Whew. I don't know about you, but pretty challenging. Pretty challenging. Bible says it like this, uh, the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, speaking to Timothy, his apprentice in the faith, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Is your wealth a tool or is it a scorecard? Can I tell you that wealth is an amazing tool? It's an amazing tool to reach people. It's an amazing tool to lift up the brokenhearted. It's an amazing tool to uh, come and bring dignity to people's lives, to, to show the heart and the generosity of God. You know, the most famous scripture of all, John 3:16, God so loved the world that He gave. God is a generous God. And so He has called us to be generous people. Obviously, that impacts our finances, but it should also impact our words. It should also impact our time. It should also impact just how we live in general. But let's be honest here, it must impact our finances. Otherwise, our money has become a scorecard to either rate ourselves against the Joneses or, you know, keep up with so-and-so down the road who just, you know, bought this house or just this car or whatever, or even just generally tell ourselves that I'm doing okay. I, 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 must be, I must be decent. I must be good at my job. I, I must be this because this material possession, this wealth is telling me this. But is your wealth a tool or is it a scorecard? That's, that's warning sign number one that we're heading to a trap and you're about to get a flash of light and it's not the Lord behind you. Number two is this. Do you find your value in doing? Do you find your value in doing? This is what the rich young ruler said to Jesus. He said, I've done all... But why do I still lack? Why, why do I still lack? You know, we often look for the thing that we lack to fill the void on the inside. But the void that's on the inside cannot be filled through achievement. It can't be filled by doing. It can't be filled by great grades or a certain university course. It can't be filled by a certain level of uh, achievement in our job or moving up the corporate ladder or expanding our business or doing whatever. It, it won't actually fill us. Yeah, our life is filled by moving those things out of the center of our identity and moving a trust in Jesus to the center, which then out of that foundation, everything else is built. So does this mean, you know, if our value is not found in doing, does this mean that this is, this is awesome? 
like kick back, flick the lazy boy out, you know, get a beverage, whatever you're choosing, have, have a sip and like, okay, it's not found in doing. This is, this is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I just loved you even more. This is amazing. No, 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 no. It's, he's talking about that, that center, that foundation that the Bible talks about in other places where it says, build your house upon the rock that the sands of this world will be washed away when the storms come. But if you build your house on the rock, that is Jesus Christ. That is, that is if you center your identity, not on what you do, but on who Jesus is, then there's something happens in our lives that gives us this solidarity, it gives us this foundation. And it's out of that foundation, then we do. Out of that foundation, then we do. We do. I, I remember years ago, I was probably in my early 20s and, uh, and leading a youth ministry and reading a great book, I think it's just called Youth Ministry, uh, by <laughs> simple title, uh, by Christine Kane, uh, wonderful uh, pastor, preacher of the Word. And, and basically one of her big challenges in it that just hit my heart so much was she talked about how so many leaders are involved in church or wanting to, you know, see the kingdom of God ex- expanded, and yet they're doing it because there's something missing on the inside of them. They're doing it to prove their worth to God. They're doing it because if I get this achievement, if I'm seen as successful, and you know what? It's hard to, to find the difference sometimes because it seems like such a noble cause, yet there is a difference because when all that comes, you know, maybe crashing down or doesn't work out the way that we think, our, our good things that we do and they maybe don't produce what we think they will, what is left that we build our lives on? And it should be on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Now, is this like a one time, let's put our hand up, say yes, you know, let's do some response to this message and we're, we're done for life? No, of course not. It's a choosing each and every day. Oh, that's right. My significance is not found in this. Oh, that's right. My worth is not found in what other people think or this going well or my business being successful or this happening or whatever. My worth is found in Jesus Christ. So two warnings, remember I said, is your wealth a tool or a scorecard? Second warning was this, is do you find your value in doing it? Number three, number three uh, is this, it's an encouragement is that Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. You might be like, okay, don't know if that makes sense. But let's look at this. In Jesus' response to the rich young ruler, it says in verse, in verse 21, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Uh, I don't know about you, but that seems a bit odd to put in the Bible because we generally understand that Jesus was a loving person like he like he always was so why does the bible specifically state that he looked at this young man with love you see at this point in his ministry jesus is about uh, 31 years old and he actually identifies with this rich young man because jesus is also a rich young ruler. You see, far richer than we could ever imagine he's lived in perfect love in perfect wealth, in glory, in joy, from being part of the Trinity, which we talked about in the first week, for all of eternity. But you see, Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler because He has already done what the rich young ruler couldn't do. Jesus left all that wealth behind and came to earth. The Bible says it like this. It says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so not only this morning, maybe the band can 
join me because I'll probably be done pretty quick. But um, not only are there warnings for us about this trap, but there's also an encouragement here that Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. Paul again says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so, sorry, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Why did Jesus give all of that away? Why did Jesus make himself like it says in the likeness of sinful flesh, or why did, he, why did he give all that away? He gave it all away for you, for you. He gave it all away for me, for you, for this world. Jesus had eternal riches far beyond this world, and he gave that away to get to you. That's what the Bible says. Therefore, because we serve a God like this, because Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. Because of that, we can give away. We can move out of the centre of our lives what riches we have to follow Him. You see, Jesus is saying to this young man, and I believe He's saying the same thing to us today, I won't ask you to do anything that I haven't already done. Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. You see, if we understand, if we truly understand that Jesus is the ultimate the true rich young ruler, it, it has to change our attitude to money. If we understand that Jesus truly is the ultimate rich young ruler, it will change our attitude to uh, works and to right moral living and doing, and doing, quote, the right thing. You see, if you understand that Jesus is the true rich young ruler, it will move us to a thankfulness for all that Jesus gave for us. We understand that He laid down His life. He laid down ultimate riches, the riches of heaven to go after you, to go after me, to go after this world. That's why I was so passionate, Rachel shared already. I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but those, those cards where we write down people's names and we pray for them, we invite them and then we pray again. Why do we do that? Because we know out of thankfulness what Christ has done for us, then let us not just look to ourselves or look to our, uh, you know, our, our own gain that we have from Christ, but that calls us to look out and beyond and go, you know what, I, I've got a family member that needs to know Jesus. I've got a, I've got a work colleague that, you know, he really needs to know Jesus. Or, you know, I've got, I've, I've got a friend that needs to know Christ. Or, or, or I've got someone that... Um, you know, I haven't spoken to for, I don't know, multiple number of years. And so maybe, just maybe there's a, there's a, there's a hint from God that it's time to contact that person. But I want to encourage you this morning as we come around and as we wrap up this series of paradox, looking at the trap. This morning, let's be encouraged in the fact that Jesus gave all to rescue us and let us heed the warning to not let wealth be a rating scale that we rate ourselves on. And let us heed the warning to not let our doing and our producing be the foundation that we build our life on. And let's remember the encouragement that Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate rich young ruler, that He gave up His life 
and his riches for us. So this morning, would you bow your heads in prayer across this place? God, I thank you right now for every single person here, Lord Jesus. I thank you as we come, as we come right now, Lord, as we come right now around your word. I thank you, Lord. Let us, let us let your word challenge us and encourage us. Let it come around our hearts and, and bring joy and bring comfort and bring that challenge to go, Jesus, we, we are called not just to live with, uh, with a God who does miracles and performs signs and wonders, but we're called to live with a God who did all those, who has all power, has all authority, but also He has called us to take up our cross and to follow Him. He has called us to make a difference in the world. He has called us to, to, to make an impact in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, wherever we are, Jesus. We thank You right now for that, Lord God, and we thank You just like our scripture for this year has been from Zechariah, it says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, declares the Lord. And we thank you that we will follow him. We'll go after Jesus, not in our own strength, but filled with his spirit and filled with his power. So this morning, just still praying with your eyes closed and heads bowed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to take up your cross, to lay down your own wants and desires and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. If that's you, maybe like I said, you've never made that decision, or maybe it's been a while and there's been a drift that's happened in your life and you know that you've walked away from what God has for your life. If, if that's you, in a moment we're going to pray all together. And I'd love you just to lift your hand where you are I'll see that hand, then you can put it back down and we'll, we'll pray together as a church family. Is there someone like that who wants to lift their hand in response to Jesus Christ and say, yes, I want to follow him. I want to go after him. Thank you, Jesus, right now. I'll just give you a moment. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you are now? We'll see it. You can put it back down. Then we're going to pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Would you pray this prayer? Would you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I give my life to you. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for your purpose. I'm going to be filled with your love and your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together in thankfulness to Jesus?